Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. And welcome to bite into it. I want to say a big thank you to Kate Kingsmill for the last three hours with the distant sky. She'll be back from 4 to 7pm next Wednesday. Bite into it tonight, we've got Dan Morganti. Hey, hey. Hey, good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. First show back for, for me. Yeah, yeah. Yep. and I'm Vanessa Tolker and it's my second show back. So uh, the, the team is gradually getting those episodes in and yeah, welcoming back 2023 and it's lovely to be with you on this kind of sultry evening. I hope you're uh, yeah out there maybe enjoying it. Maybe Maybe you've got the headphones on as you do a lap around a park or something. It's, uh, it's pretty sweet. Tonight on the show, we're going to speak with Generation Australia about tech training opportunities for First Nations people. And we're also going to talk about Netflix sharing protocols. And we've got a bunch more. Uh, so we hope you stick with us. Before we get there, what's been going on in news, Dan? Um, well, uh, some naughty retailers have been doing some naughty things. Uh, Bunnings and Kmart uh, facial recognition probe is set to finish by July. So the Office of the Australian Information Commissioner um, revealed it was no longer investigating um, Kmart, uh, the good guys, Bunnings, um, for their um, report by choice in June last year for, for potential breaches of the Privacy Act. Um, they were using um, technology to um, take photos of people's faces and identify them and uh, use their their um, likeness for marketing and uh, store in-store purchases. Um, the, the OAIC opened a formal investigations into Bunnings and Kmart uh, uh, after the good guys and... All the retailers suspended their use of the technology once the probe was announced. So. Yeah, so it's had the desired effect. Yeah, uh, um, very interesting. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to see that uh, they've still got the fear of God in them. If, uh, <laughs> if the, if the uh, if, yeah, oh wait, I see, love it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, a bit of power there. Um, it's great because all consumers really want is a bit of transparency over if you're going to use these technologies, how are you using them? Uh, JB Hi-Fi did get out on the front foot and sort of say, look, we were using it to review incidents of theft and for the purposes of customer and team member safety and wellbeing. But I guess they've already had security cameras without facial recognition applied that were doing that role in the past yeah. that people were a bit more comfortable with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, yeah, if uh, people are up to no good... Um, there's ways to get around that. That's just uh, maybe the um, the new technology is a, a little bit more unknown. Yeah, That's, that seems yeah. about it. Yeah. yeah, we need some some guide rails. I think. Y- yeah, guide rails, yeah. <laughs> guidelines, and guide rails. There That's, we go. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, good news for some people out there. There are one million more homes going to be included in the next NBN upgrade, and you can go to their site and check if you're eligible. Um, if you're in one of those zones where you've been waiting for these these updates. Uh, so this is tied to a federal government pre-election promise to help NBN Co get through to its fibre to the node people to fibre to the premises upgrade plan. Um, so it was announced in March 2022 um, when... At the time, Shadow Minister for Communications Michelle Rowland promised $3.2 billion of investment into this um, to make this happen. 
And in October last year, NBN Co announced 2.4 billion was hitting its pockets out of that. Um, so there's some other money kicking around there, possibly um, also for expanding full fibre access, but possibly not coming in this particular initiative. So that's interesting too to know that there's a bit left in the kitty. It just seems like there's this rollout has just never finished the last 10 years. It's when it was promised and... That's it's, how we do tech in Australia, yeah, yeah. Jay. <laughs> <laughs> By the time it's finished, it's already redundant. So. We're very, very patient. Yeah. But um, what's interesting is that the suburbs for rollout reads a bit like that um, the Australian country and Western song where you name all the different places in Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, um, there's lots of places I've never really heard of there, so good for them. Uh, there's plenty of places we've heard of too. If you're in Cape Woolamai, you you're go. getting it. Um, yeah, well done. As well as many, many others. Well done, those yeah. people. Yeah. Uh, Anglesey, Apollo Bay, etc. I'm not going through alphabetically. Um, look it up, but good luck to you out there with your MBN upgrade. Um, another one for um, uh, identification, identification technology, uh, the Queensland... Um, Government is using uh, traps with uh, robotic, oh, sorry, robotic traps with artificial intelligence uh, in an effort to control feral cats. Um, this is fascinating. I didn't know feral cats were a problem in Queensland's wet tropic areas, but I guess you just, hear that they're a problem everywhere. Uh, just overall over Australia, I guess, yeah. yeah. Um, so Queensland parks and wildlife rangers are trialling uh, grooming traps, which use light and image sensing technology to detect detect movement and artificial intelligence to determine if what it detects is indeed a cat. I love this because yeah. once you get in an area where you're like, is there a cat in a box? You're very close to, you know, Schrodinger's cat dilemmas, yeah. you know, <laughs> and now is the cat alive or dead? Does the trap kill the cat? Yeah. Is it Oh, Anyway, uh, it's, uh, it's a bit fraught. Yeah, I, I'm glad they're using this kind of technology to also make sure that they're not going to capture any native animals or um, other wildlife that may be affected and uh, yeah. aren't as damaging to the local environment. So it's good that they're um, trialling this and, you know, um, bringing this technology into the future to um, it, it is amazing. help the environment. It must be such an interesting project to work on, but such a responsibility too. Um, interestingly, the, the, the AI-enabled robotic traps look... A bit like a robot cat, <laughs> is that? Like if you if you sort of didn't have legs on it or something, I don't know. It just looks a bit like it's got a face on it, and uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah. I guess it's cat sized for a reason. Yeah, and yeah, yeah specifically designed for particular that um, particular size of cat as well. Mm. So I guess they were particularly worried about disambiguation with uh, dingoes and dingo pups who might be quite cat sized. So that's that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, so watch this space. Hopefully. The programs are a resounding success and we can roll that out around Australia. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry to hear that, feral cats. Sorry. But, uh, you know, you shouldn't be out there. Yeah. And um, Microsoft uh, Internet Explorer um, will now not be supported anymore. Yeah, it's over as of Valentine's Day. So yeah. they announced this a year ago as a bit of a Valentine's Day treat for the world. Yep. <laughs> and now yesterday the um, it was the end of... Internet Explorer. Yeah, two uh, browsers which I only use to download another browser. So <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate the, insult. The, the the breakup's been wow. uh, around for a while. Wow. Yeah. Um, In the spirit of Valentine's Day, I guess that's like being you know the friend who people only use to get to the other friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's it. Just a um, a transition. Oh wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, Maybe Microsoft Edge really just needed a good wingman after all. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. 
This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Yo, yo, it's 7.15, it's a Wednesday night, it's between 7 and 8. That means you're listening to Bite Into It on Triple R. We've got Dan Morganti here and I'm Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for being with us. Uh, Dan, are you a subscriber to many streaming uh, um, you know, TV replacement services? Uh, my partner takes care of the subscription services and she's very diligent in... Um, signing up to the ones for the shows she wants to watch, usually Stan for RuPaul's Drag Race, and then signing out, making sure she only pays for the three months she needs. Very good. Um, we have had Disney. We, we've we've tried them all. Yeah, the uh, one-month free trial periods. Yep. You use them you know, cleverly. That, that's it, yep. Nice. Um, have even used my work email and my regular email for <laughs> multiple one-month free trials. Oh, that's excellent tips there. Yeah, yeah. yeah don't just bury that you know, quickly as, a, as, a, as an aside. Yeah. That's, um, that's well, some detail. And people in share houses can really take advantage of that. Absolutely. I mean, there is also ways to generate uh, ju- uh, emails that will only be around for 10 minutes at a time. So if you're really, really keen, you can do that kind of wow, thing. Deep but cuts. Yeah. Um, this is all, of course, in the context of the Attorney General uh, rejigging the definition of piracy in Australia to include shared logins. Netflix for a while has been saying that, look, they, they haven't been growing their audience as fast as they'd like and certainly not they were not able to sustain the sort of growth that they saw in their early days. And they put their cards on the table and said, look, we're going to start cracking down on login sharing. Uh, it was part of their path to growth to begin with. They actively encouraged it. Just get one one login and you can share it with your friends and family and you know show them how good it is and then we'll convert them into subscribers. Uh, and they did that by adding features. You know, you could get four deaf, you know, um, you could get different plans for different amount of sharers and at different quality levels and all that sort of thing. They're fra- um, yeah, fractalizing their yeah. their buy-in. Yeah. Um, and then as we all know, the market suddenly started getting filled with competitors. Um, the you stands, might say the binges, the Foxtel. too many competitors. Definitely. I mean, this is a trend we see again and again in this space mm. where you see a, a convergence of media options and uh, consumers get squeezed on either availability and quality or price. Yep. Um, and, you know, what proportion of advertising is going in to subsidise their, their viewing options. Yep. And then we see, you know, a land grab on a new, a new space that opens up and uh, people go in cheap and then they start raising the prices or the quality starts changing. The catalogues get smaller as there's more competition for those. Or they get bigger with less quality or, yeah. yeah. And then the user experience takes a dive too because it's like, oh, can I remember which platform the thing that I want to watch is on? Yeah. I can't remember what the first major competitor to um, Netflix was. I mean, in the US it may have been like Hulu or something like that. Mm. But I remember reading an article about how this is just leading down to the path of Foxtel and package deals and exactly. bundles of um, like cable television in the yeah. US, but you know, well, that's streaming right. services. S- so true, yeah. Mm. And we saw it happen with the advent of TiVo as well, you know, as personal video recording smart devices became really popular, there'd be that sense of that curated feed of what media gets pushed to you through the service that you do. And we know smart TVs have been doing that too, depending on what ecosystem you're in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Samsung dominates the 
Australian landscape for uh, smart TVs. Yeah. There's plenty of other competitors out there. It becomes an incredibly fragmented market, a bit like mobile phones. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And they're all uh, collecting data and um, pushing ads now, like uh, with um, 3D t- oh, sorry, smart TVs. Mm. Um, people are complaining that they've just bought a $5,000 Samsung TV and then they're seeing ads on their main menu as they pop up. And, yes, um, yeah. And yet the some of the benefits... Of, of those aggregate devices are solving problems that only got introduced in the last five years. You yeah. know, it's just, it's, you know, without an Apple TV or a Google Chrome or whatever, you know, you've got to use the smart TV menus to navigate those. And that's probably easier as someone who has given help desk advice on TVs now <laughs> to relatives. Yeah. You think, yes, we need to simplify again. Yes, you've got to solve those problems. Yeah. It just feels like we keep solving the same problems and then creating the same problems yeah over and over again until yeah we've got now we've got six remotes again remember the, the old days yes. where you have like a hi-fi remote and then a tv remote and then a dvd player remote i've just gone and, back to one remote again and yeah. that's blowing my mind no that's not true the the air system has another one the heating air uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah down to two remotes okay. yeah that's much more an analog experience goals, though. goals man yeah yeah remote zero yeah um <laughs> i was also looking up um Netflix's overall market share and they've actually been taken over by the Disney Corporation uh, in the amount of market share that they have. So I think Netflix has 230 million subscribers and Disney has uh, over all its platforms 250 million subscribers. So the main one being Disney but then they also own ESPN and a couple of others um, and like they're, they've gone hard and fast on um, all these services and, you know, acquired as many as they can as well. I mean, the Disney Corporation's not known for their lack of appetite when it comes to consuming uh, other companies and taking their media catalogs yes. and things like that. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting that Netflix now has like a, a competitor, like uh, for so long it was the, the primo service. Particularly uh, in our market. Absolutely, is, yeah. You know, less well served. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they moved into Australia first and fast and um, others are only just starting to get a foothold and mm. many of the Australian ones, I don't know if you use Binge. Um, uh, I This is like the third attempt by the Murdoch group to get a streaming platform off the ground and yes. I think it may have finally stuck but it's still not very good. I don't I don't go for it I've got to say. Yeah. Um, I yeah. had to get it for the Last of Us uh, show. Yes. Uh, which is primo by the way on a side <laughs> note. Um, All right, we could easily get very sidetracked into yeah. content here. But we we do want to talk about the fact that it was pretty interesting that um, this Attorney General um, announcement, the change was contained in the publication of the Consumer Survey on Online Copyright Infringement from 2022-23 uh, that claimed that 39% of people surveyed had consumed content online in at least one content category in ways that were likely to be unlawful. So it's really interesting that it's because of a definition change that that, that category is so high. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, it's... Yeah, it's it's just interesting looking at the the business incentives for them to make that change. Yeah, uh, I'd say copyright in- infringement would be a stretch when you're allowed to share that many ways. And there's lots of people saying it's a bit out of touch with the reality of how families work these days. You know, you could have someone in your family who's a remote worker. Um, you could have many people in your family who are remote workers. You could have people who are interstate for a while. You could be traveling interstate with your job. There are so many valid reasons why you as a paying person 
um, Won't might be in the same have different households. Yeah. You know, you, you're the child of divorced parents and you're going in between homes and you want to maintain that record of what you're watching. Yeah. But, you know, you're not going to be um, on the same Wi-Fi network yeah. consistently uh, necessarily. Yeah, there's, there's lots of ways this falls apart. I think, yeah, just like... In terms of reasonableness. Yeah. yeah. The With any policy change, it always seems like... Uh, the fringe cases or the the not the main thing they're trying mm. to legislate gets either um, thrown to the wayside or yeah. underserved or something like that. Well, I, th- I think, though, that what's interesting is that, you know, you say fringe there, but I think that actually the sort of flexibility that people are required to do their jobs these days, you know, not being able to live so close to home or having, you know, um, differently shaped families to nuclear yeah. or living in a share house where a reasonably point. you're trying to, you know, share these sort of services with people who you're not otherwise, you know, completely financially tied to. <laughs> so yeah. It, I, I would suggest that that is completely normal these days and that yeah. it's, it's oh, lazy is possibly too strong a word, but, you know, maybe it's a little bit lazy not to model those sort of uh, relationships and then think about how that plays out. It, I think it's, an, it's just very convenient for companies to go, we're just going to serve this um, user that doesn't actually bear out in our research. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just um, using a bazooka when a fly swatter yeah. would have done. They or yeah. you know uh, something a little bit more uh, finessed or yeah. something would have probably been more appropriate. On the other hand, I don't think it's unreasonable to go. All right, we have to stay solvent. You know what's it going to take yeah. and and rein back these permissions. I think there's subtler ways to do it. Mm. I do have a good news story about this sort of thing. If you've ever been in a relationship where you've um, shared one of your streaming accounts with a partner and then you break up and you think, oh, I don't need to get an extra subscription to that, do I? And you, you know, leave it around. And I think you have chats with your friends these days like, how long is it acceptable to do that? And you, know, <laughs> and you don't want to be an idiot and, and take advantage of anyone. So I think you know, maybe by the time a month's up, you're like, yeah, I better, I better sign out of that account permanently. Yeah. And the idea that you'd have to use the function to permanently kick someone off your account is just heinous socially. Yeah. You just think that is such a, a hammer of an approach. Sounds like it could have been a storyline on How I Met Your Mother or Seinfeld <laughs> or something like that. It's you, very Seinfeld. Yeah, it's yeah. got to be done on You kicked her off the streaming service? I kicked her off the streaming service. Yeah, oh, they must have done that on yeah. the Seinfeld yeah. now Twitter account. That's it, yeah, yeah. It's very good. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, it's, it's also like how far is too far removed from the group. Um, that's it. That's it. When someone leaves the share house, yeah. how long do they still get to, yeah. to use the login? And are you all contributing? Like if you, you're mm. allowed four accounts and you're all paying three bucks mm. or I'm not. Well, is it high def or not? Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Maybe <laughs> I'd be willing to pay. Depending um, on the streaming package. Yeah. Yes. People are. By and large, I think, very generous on this front. It just seems like such a nice thing to be able to do mm. to people. And you often it's, you know, people sharing back with their parents and what have you. And so um, it also means that you can troubleshoot so much more easily if you're yeah. on the same account. So I, I feel for people who are going to I, have to deal with that change. I think also we're going to see rising rates of like um, – like, um, like active piracy as well. Um, a few years ago when Foxtel was the only thing on offer and, um, you know, LimeWire was around and th- there was a lot of there was a lot of piracy. I think the most pirated show in the world was Game of Thrones because a lot of people didn't own yes. uh, Foxtel and have Foxtel accounts. And this was one of the Murdoch's failed streaming servers. I think it was like Foxtel Now, Foxtel now or Foxtel Go. Yes. Um, and people were trying to pay for it. Yes. And it was failing. 
And so people just went on to Pirate Bay and downloaded it's the show. It's very frustrating. I'm a, a determined anti-pirater. Mm. Um, haven't always been in my lifetime. I think I was far too excited about, you know, possibilities of technology before actually thinking critically about how much I cared about supporting artists. Yeah. Um, actually, we'll talk about an event later um, that relates to this because uh, Corey Doctorow is in town with Rebecca Giblin. Um, so we'll get onto that a bit later, which is a bit related. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there's, there's so much to think about unethical design and, and how it's very hard to solve this problem as an individual. Yeah. All these problems. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And I think people also have, feel like a sense of ownership over content as well once they once they've started a season or something like that. And, yeah. Um, I think yeah. people will just get a bit more organised now. It'll be like, okay, you get this platform, you get this one, you get this one, you get this one. Yeah. We're going to have, instead of a LAN party, we'll have a Wi-Fi party where you all log on to the Wi-Fi in my house while you happen to be here for drinks. Yeah. And, uh, you know, who can blame people? Yeah. 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 So, Cost of living rises. Yeah, that's it. We're all feeling that at the moment. So. Certainly, certainly. Yeah. Uh, coming up next, we have an interview with Malcolm Kins, the CEO of Generation Australia, a non-profit organisation that uh, helps Indigenous people in the tech industry. Triple R. You're with Bite Into It with Dan Morganti and Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for joining us. Generation Australia is a non-profit organisation that helps train, place and support adults into life-changing careers. We're specifically interested in the technology sector um, where they know there's high job demand and it's one of the areas where they play. The organisation works specifically with First Nations people and provides mentorship and specialist support to help them get started and succeed. Malcolm Kins is the Chief Executive Officer. Welcome to Byte. Thank you. Malcolm, it's, um, it's great to speak with you this evening. First of all, I wanted to um, hear a little bit about how you ended up at Generation Australia. You've, you've got about 20 years of experience in some uh, very interesting roles specialising in you know, providing education. Yes, yeah, I've been lucky enough to, to be exposed to, to various aspects of education over the last, uh, well, probably 25 years now, um, all uh, focused on really supporting people into employment, uh, whether it's through higher education, vocational education, or uh, in the case of Generation Australia in the education to training space uh, in a bit more of an accelerated opportunity into careers. So um, Generation Australia is a non-profit organisation. Um, how do you, I guess, get funding to, you know, create the sort of programs that you're interested in and, and what, what sort of constraints does, does that put on you as an educational institution? Yeah, so we're, we're very lucky to be supported uh, by a number of philanthropic organisations, um, particularly uh, Bank of America, who support our First Nations programs, supporting uh, First Nations people into technology roles. Uh, we also work um, with Microsoft, um, Verizon, as well as uh, the Pori Group Foundation and Paul Ramsey Foundation. Um, beyond that, we also um, have great support from the corporate sector who recognise the value of um, uh, the work that we do, um, support people into employment and, and a mixture of state and um, uh, federal government uh, funding as well to support the work that we do. Um, certainly, um, obviously, uh, with a lot of different funders and a lot of different um, 
focus areas. Um, we do have to concentrate on ensuring that basically we're providing an opportunity and opening doors for employment opportunities in those sectors which have the highest demand, which is uh, certainly um, a lot of our workers in the tech sector. As you know, um, there's um, some large skill gaps and looking to um, provide a, a, an alternative pipeline of talent to help fill that skill shortage in Australia. Well, we know that there is so much demand at the moment. Um, I was just uh, wondering, do these um, do these businesses that are supporting you and these governments, are they also like in the pool of uh, hirers and are they um, like actively supporting and hiring um, from Generation Australia as well? Uh, yeah, uh, it, we, we have a, a, a large mixture. Some of our employers um, actually work with us and help co-design the programs. Um, some are also funders. Uh, we have a very close uh, relationship, for example, with Accenture, who have actually helped us not only um, identify what programs are needed, but also um, helps us and provides resources to help build the program and now actually hire um, uh, graduates of that program. So it becomes an ongoing cycle um, with the likes of Accenture and there's, there's other organisations um, who are involved in providing content uh, for, and support in terms of access to their network, for example, Salesforce and Microsoft, um, and also um, other uh, organisations that we work with, such as Google and, and Telstra who um, have a mixture of uh, supporting our um, uh, programs through their partner networks, but also, as you say, hiring um, as well. So it really does cover in a spectrum, but all are contributing in different ways to these opportunities um, and recognising the value of diversity and diverse talent coming into the sector. It is really fantastic to hear about these big companies um, giving back and, and seeing the importance of social responsibility and their obligations there. Uh, we wanted to hear more about some of the opportunities for First Nations people to attend free technology programs. In particular, um, there is some web development uh, course that's coming up. Could you tell us a bit about what that might entail? Yeah, absolutely. Um, with all of our programs, um, there is a combination of the tech skills needed to enter a particular industry, uh, in this case web development, but also um, the human skills or the employability skills which go with that. So things like communication, teamwork, problem solving, critical thinking, etc. And it's the combination of all of those things which really opens the door to these opportunities. Um, often uh, with a program like web development, it can be uh, even more directly uh, into employment, either at a small company or um, perhaps into academies or associate roles with some of those larger uh, companies uh, such as Accenture, uh, Infosys, etc. And those um, opportunities do vary based on the individual and their fit and what they are looking uh, to achieve. But the program very much starts from the fundamentals and supports um, uh, people, and particularly our First Nations participants, um, to uh, really establish what they're looking to do, but give them those skills that they can actually choose their pathway, um, as well as obviously uh, picking from the opportunities which are, are presented to them um, throughout the course of the program. Um, how long are these programs, and then what's like a likely outcome for someone once they're um, completed one of these programs? 
Yeah, so the programs um, we're talking about in the web development uh, program, they're usually between 12 and 14 weeks. Um, they are um, full-time or uh, in some cases, and particularly this web development program, um, about six hours per day between 9.30 and 3.30 to allow for people with care and responsibilities, community responsibilities, etc., to also maintain that connection while, while studying. Um, and they're a mixture of um, uh, directed study or synchronous study um, and uh, asynchronous. Um, the opportunities, as I say, uh, really depend on the individuals. If they're looking to maybe uh, start off and, and start working um, uh, as a bit more freelance in the web development space or going into one of these larger corporations, usually through um, a pathway such as an associate role or through an academy, um, for example, or Avenard. Um, and they tend to be um, entry-level, mid-skill roles, but with a really sustainable um, uh, trajectory or career, uh, career trajectory for those who want to get in and establish themselves in the tech space. And, and one of the things we do work with with all of our employer partners is to ensure that they have the right supports um, for the people moving into employment. And of course, we also provide that through the program with our mentors and then ongoing um, support once they're uh, in employment, just to help them uh, navigate into that if they've been, um, for example, unemployed for a period of time or, or perhaps uh, are moving into a new industry. Um, those supports are really uh, important to make sure that they um, feel that they're um, certainly in a safe space, but also um, that they, can, they have someone to talk to and, and people to support them should they be worried about any particular aspects of that, uh, that journey. That mentor relationship sounds really important. Do participants in your programs tend to find a mentor and, and stick with them through the program or are there a range of different mentors bringing different things to, to um, the learning? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is a critical part of the program. Um, in the initial stages of the coursework of the program, we assign mentors to our participants. So with our First Nations participants, we have a, a First Nations mentor um, who will support them through that, that program. Um, and then beyond that, we then work with a, um, a number of volunteer mentors who have perhaps have specialist skills um, more in the industry in which they're going into um, who help them and, and are there as a sounding board and support them once into employment. And, of course, our broader team uh, are there to support as well. One of the things we certainly uh, find is, is that transition um, space and the success of what we do is, is very much built on the building of the confidence um, to enter into employment and sustain employment. Um, and, and that really sets people up to success in terms of that growth mindset and being able to continue their learning journey well beyond the coursework uh, that Generation provides. It's fantastic because it sounds like the sort of well-rounded um, professional development that you actually get inside big corporations when they're investing in people who already actually have a bunch of these skills under their belts but that often a range of other people don't necessarily have the access to. Um, was very interested looking at your catalogue and seeing some of the tech uh, areas that you train in, including things like Salesforce, cloud computing, data analytics, cybersecurity. Um, is there a process in which you help um, your participants determine which of these pathways they might be best suited to, or is, you know, do they sort of take a bit of a chance and just um, connect with you? Yeah, look, um, usually our participants do come in with a... Uh, I guess, a, an idea of where they would like to go. Um, but certainly as part of the process, we actually have a, a rigorous um, uh, selection process 
mostly to ensure that whoever is coming in is going to be, um, you know, has the best chance of success. So in that um, interview process and through there, we're actually uh, talking to them about their motivations and why they want to get into the program, and are usually then able to help them make a decision about which is right for them. So some some programs, and web development's a great example of that, um, is a great starting point for people to come in. In cybersecurity, data analytics, there's certain uh, kind of prerequisites and skills which will really allow someone to move in to that more accelerated pathway. And um, so we do uh, counsel our, our participants, and we also talk to them about the supports that are available, um, you know, uh, for whatever um, needs that they have. And often uh, we have a you know a number of our participants who uh, perhaps uh, are dealing with other issues outside um, of um, their education pathway, and we ensure sure that we've got the supports needed um, and available for them to help um, you know, uh, navigate that, um, both from a personal as well as professional standpoint. Um, it sounds like a fantastic program. What's the feedback been like from people who have been involved in, the, um, in some of these programs? Yeah, look, I mean, uh, we generally have fantastic um, feedback. Um, we, we do um, assess after every cohort and um, delivery, and our NPS scores um, tend to be um, well above that 60-70 mark, uh, which is obviously something we're, we're very proud of. Uh, we continue also to assess um, really from the employment outcomes, uh, with well over 85% of our uh, participants actually finding employment within six months, uh, and close to 95% actually being retained in that employment over a, a, a longer period. Um, so from that point of view, uh, absolutely feedback's there. And um, the other things that we continue to assess and stay in touch with our alumni network is really about their well-being, not just in terms of the financial well-being, which is obviously an outcome of employment, but also uh, their emotional well-being and their confidence levels, etc. And we all like always see an upswing in that as they develop and go through the program, etc. Um, you know, and so the general feedback's been fantastic. Um, you know, obviously individuals or different circumstances we work with those individuals on should they uh, encounter any barriers. But um, yeah, as a general comment, absolutely fantastic feedback. And we're really proud of what our participants have been able to achieve over the course of the last uh, three years or so. That sounds just incredible. Um, how are people generally finding out about uh, your programs, other than on our program, of course? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a mixture of um, referrals. Actually, um, what we've seen is the referrals into our program have gone, well, from initially, uh, obviously, uh, nothing uh, in 2019, but up to almost 30% of participants in our programs are actually referrals from past graduates, which I think is an endorsement of what we do. Right. Um, but we also have various um, uh, social media campaigns. Um, we actually work very, very closely with community um, to um, share our programs and, and so those community groups um, referring to us. And we work also with um, employment service providers um, and other um, similar groups to um, uh, kind of raise awareness of the program. It's uh, one of the, the things we, we've worked through over the last three years is actually the awareness um, of the opportunity and, um, you know, the, the, uh, I guess, knowing where to come to, to gain that opportunity and that pathway into employment is actually one of the biggest barriers to people gaining employment. Yes. So I think that's, that's something we certainly uh, concentrate on and, and trying to build awareness, uh, you know, in everything that we do. 
Well, we certainly hope that we've helped to amplify the message tonight and people can find out more about the programs at Generation Australia at australia.generation.org. Please do share with your First Nations networks. And if um, other people are interested in getting involved, Malcolm, are there opportunities for mentors or employee sponsors or other ways to get involved? Yeah, absolutely. Look, we'd encourage employers um, particularly to constant, uh, contact us um, and, and talk to us about what opportunities um, they have and, and perhaps some um, roles that they're trying to fill. Um, obviously, we'd want to talk to them and, and find out what those needs are. Um, and also for um, people who are working, particularly in the, the tech industry, and are keen to um, become a volunteer uh, mentor and, and stay connected, we'd encourage you um, to, again, contact us and, and we can actually talk through those those opportunities. I think that opportunity for people who are already in the industry to give back and support the future talent for the industry is an incredibly important one. Um, and it, it certainly bears fruit, uh, we know, with those um, success stories that we've talked about. We've been speaking with Malcolm Kins, the CEO of Generation Australia, and the excellent work they're doing providing tech education programs focused on First Nations people. Thanks so much for speaking with us tonight, Malcolm. I really appreciate the time, and thank you very much for, for talking to me. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Triple R. into its last little bit with Dan Morganti and Vanessa Toholka. Uh, ACMA put out some news this week. They're going to investigate how to combat SMS sender ID impersonation. Um, there is, I don't know if you get many of these SMSs, Dan. I get a couple. Yeah. So there's a bunch of SMS scams going around. Um, the government does what it can and all of the private companies do what they can too because they don't want to be paying for your losses, um, particularly in the banking sector. It's a big problem. So a recent scam has been uh, people getting SMSs claiming that someone's bank account has been compromised and they're spoofing, what's called spoofing, the sender ID, make it look like it's coming from a bank. Now, if they get lucky, it's a bank that you use and you're more likely to fall for the scam. Otherwise, yeah. you've already you know jumped the first hurdle, which is great. But then they'll often recommend you call them on a fake number. And this is tricky because banks are often like, you know, we'll never, we'll never message you like this, but, you know, you can always call up the bank and check and go around it that way. And they've sort of preempted that defence. Yeah. And they can fool people then. Yeah. Um, so if they don't look up the real bank number, they might be fooled by this fake number and then, you know, move their money or do whatever the scammers want. And it's, yeah. It always sounds real dumb as well. Like, oh, I can't believe anyone would fall for this, but... The way these like these scams work is that they send out enough of these messages to enough of these people. Yeah, and um, it just has to catch you at a bad moment. It can yeah. happen to anyone. It's an emotional plea. You know, it's like, oh, no, I'm going to be concerned about this account breach. Yeah, you, you're on public transport, like yeah. surrounded by people. Yeah. You can't really talk that no way. No one should ever feel bad for falling for these. Yeah. I mean, it's not on you, but, um, uh, yeah. but we still want you to be aware and... Um, but it's also great that they're trying to figure out how they can combat these sort of problems systemically um, instead of you having to be at peak awareness yeah. all the time. Or just on guard all the time. That's it. That's um, it. If you want any more information about it, you can go to acma.gov.au and it's got um, pages there on how to deal with phone scams with uh, like helpful tips, like it's probably a scam. If it <laughs> sounds too good to be true, uh, someone you don't know has your personal details, um, someone claiming to be your bank or other institution that you trust calls or tests, uh, 
to ask you for personal information, which we just spoke about. Yes. Um, you're threatened or made to feel afraid. I think that's a big one as well. They'll put a lot of time pressure on you. Yes. Uh, and like artificial time pressure. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then someone asked to have access to your computer as well. There you go. So um, there's more like that on the acma.gov.au website if Very you're good. looking for more info. Very good. Hey, I attended an event last night and there are a few uh, other Byte uh, hosts present, which was awesome. Yes. But it was part of the Future of Arts Culture Technology Symposium happening at ACME. And there was this fantastic event put on. Corey Doctorow, who you might know as a science fiction author, also an activist and journalist based in Canada. His tech journalism is sensational. Big brain. Um, <laughs> and Professor Rebecca Giblin, also big brain, who's an ARC Future Fellow, a professor at Melbourne Law School and the director of the IP Research Institute of Australia, have both co-authored a book. It's called Chokepoint Capitalism. They were there to speak about that in conversation with Esther Anatolitis, who is... Um, Famous arts advocate, editor of Mianjin, um, all good time person and, uh, you know, yeah, it was great. It was just a who's who of people who care about digital rights and um, I guess changing ownership in that space and, and creatives. Was there anything that made you think different you heard at this? Look, I'm already reading the book. Yeah. Um, I'm already well on board but – I think the the depth of the research that's gone into this book, it wasn't a mishmash of a lot of – like a lot of tech books these days, they're all insights that you've read elsewhere, but they've sort of mashed them up together in a new way. Yeah. A bit of the Malcolm Gladwell style of writing a book. Yeah. Uh, yep. This this had some real depth and there were so many examples I hadn't heard or just, you know, pattern matching and articulation of how problems have come about, you know, a good analysis of the history that just um, puts the puzzle pieces together for you the way that smart people who have been obsessing about what's happening in this space um, really can. And I think if you care about, you know, the arts, if you care about, in particular, there's a lot of great coverage on music publishing and how broken that is for artists. You know, they're not saying that these industries aren't more successful than ever and making a lot of money. They're saying that there is a choke point in the middle that means that the money doesn't flow through, you know, um, to the creators. You know, the creators push the work up and then, you know, the corporations do not push the rewards down at some point the funnel narrows and yeah. it doesn't get through and I'm almost, not explaining it well. Almost like the democratization of the create music creation process has yes. allowed for these companies to exploit uh, much more people. Well what's great about the book is that not only does it um, you know articulate the problem and analyze it from a few different angles and look at the ways in which these problems occur in different ways in different sectors it also then fills you with hope and goes here's some solutions and here's a lot of different things that we could be doing um but they're not all individual solutions you know a lot of them are you know they they require a bit of collectivism um so well worth well worth reading but good on good on acme you've sold me on it i i want to read that and pass those ideas well, i want to interview these own. people so yeah. let's just park that <laughs> idea and see what we can get going for the bite audience in the future but it also fills me with hope that there's um, these conversations happening in Melbourne, you know, that institutions are uh, curating these sort of events for us and that they're well attended, sold out indeed. And you look at them and it's it's full of people thinking about how to make things better for people here and how to solve these problems and how not to get beaten down and still be creative. Just these intelligent, you know, hardworking people. Yeah. I just, I'm just so filled with optimism. Um, so that was that was awesome. 
Hey, we should get to other events. Yeah. It's pretty snappy yeah. this time. What have we got? Uh, Fuck Ups Night Melbourne uh, with the Wade Institute of Entrepreneurship. Thursday, 16th of February at 6pm in Parkville. Um, tickets are free. Um, so go to ticketaylor.com, um, look up Fuck Up Nights Melbourne. Um, yeah. I do like think a- this one might be the one uh, that Dom Pym is speaking at. He's the co-founder of UpBank and has had a you know pretty uh, lofty history in startups. Um, but yeah, there's always a great a great combo of, of people sharing stories of failure and um, and redemption. Yeah, when um, we're lucky. So there's uh, Jody Imam from Tractor Ventures, um, Christy Jenkins from Blackbird. Um, oh, great. Dom Pym, co-founder of Up Ferocia. Just, there you yeah, go. So there's, Very um, nice. Yeah, a lot of uh, interesting little tidbits on uh, – le- you can learn from mistakes. They're and they very relatable events. Don't have to be your mistakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah if, if at all possible. Let's, yeah. Let's go with that approach. Yeah. Hey, a big thank you to our guests, uh, to our guests this evening, Malcolm Kins, who is the CEO of Generation Australia. Um, that was quite inspiring. Uh, thanks, Dan for coming back on the show and uh, being a co-host with me. Oh, thank you very much, Vanessa. Thanks for being the anchor and uh, running the show for the yeah. last few years. Well, it's been good hearing your game reviews uh, crop up on Breakfasters yeah. now and again when Christo's uh, got something else on. That's good. I will always have time to talk about video games. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Hey, thanks to Talks producer Elizabeth McCarthy and our podcaster Carrie Smythe, who we hope to see soon. We've been biting into it and we'll be back next Wednesday evening with a different crew. Do stay tuned for the International Pop Underground with Anthony Carew up next and have a great night. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite Into It's Twitter or Facebook accounts.